Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the Israelites are free, but they're also hungry and thirsty as God teaches them to depend on Him. Exodus 15, 16, and 17. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. First, I want to apologize that I do not have this study in writing online yet. It's a new study, and I'm just having a really hard time staying an entire study ahead. So hopefully I'll get it done quickly, and I'll let you know whenever that happens. Now, in the last study, we went through the entire captivity of the Egyptians and how God sent Moses to set the people free. In the last episode, they were sent out of Egypt, but the Egyptians changed their mind and came after them. And so God split the Red Sea, allowed the Israelites to walk across on dry ground, and then covered the Egyptians back with the water. So God completely defeated the Egyptians without the Israelites having to lift a finger. And if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talked about several things that we learned from this lesson of the Red Sea, how God can fight our battles for us, what it means to look to Him, how He can be our protector, and how He's always present, and then also just about our way to freedom, how God can move obstacles, things like that. So if you missed that, you'll want to go back and listen. Before we move on, I'm going to read Numbers 33. This is a recap of what happened in the previous lesson and then also a little bit of their journey. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journey at the command of the Lord, and these are the journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month on the fifteenth day of the first month, on the day of the Passover, as the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods the Lord had executed judgment. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Succoth. They departed from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham and turned back to Paharah, which is east of Baal-Zephon, and they camped near Migdal. They departed from before Paharah and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness, went three days' journey in the wilderness of Etham, and camped at Marah. They moved from Marah and came to Elam. At Elam were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there. They moved from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dothka. 
they departed from Doph and camped at Ulish. They moved from Alish and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. Okay, so that was a recap of last week and then a little bit of the journey that they're going to be taking this week. This week, we are at the end of chapter 15 in Exodus. After they've been set free, this is the beginning of their time in the wilderness. This is 15, 22 to 27. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water of Marah, for it was bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitterness. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Now, if you notice, the Israelites are starting to realize what freedom really looks like, right? Because with freedom comes responsibility. They're free from the Egyptians' oppression, but they're also free from all the provision that was offered there in Egypt. Because they're no longer living in the land of Goshen that has the rich, fertile land, and there is no water in the wilderness. And so they've wandered for three days with no water, and then when they finally find some water, it isn't fit to drink. And instead of turning to God, they complain to Moses, right? Three days earlier, they'd seen God defeat their enemies with a great miraculous power. And listen to what they said at the end of chapter 14. This is verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord God had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they believed in Moses' leadership also. But only three days later, now they're complaining against Moses. They don't turn to God for help, even though God has done all these miraculous things for them before, because they still have not learned to focus on the Lord instead of their circumstances. And we talked a lot about that last week, about how when we focus on people and on circumstances, then our emotions just continue to be tossed about with every changing situation. And that is where they are. So they were happy with Moses. They were happy with God. They believed in both of them. They saw the power. They saw the ability. And as soon as the circumstance changes and they no longer have any water to drink, they forget all of that and they're in total despair and they don't know what to do. And now they're mad at Moses. And thankfully, he is understanding towards them. He knows that he is not in charge. There is absolutely nothing that Moses can do to make water be in the desert when there isn't any. And he's aware of that. And so since there's nothing he can do, he immediately turns to God. Honestly, that is a place that God likes us to be sometimes because when we have no power to help ourselves, that is when we realize, oh, wait, no person can do this. Who could do it? Well, only God. And that's when we turn to him. And so Moses does that. He says, this is not of me. It's not my fault. It's not anything that I have any control over. But God does, and I trust him, so 
He's the one that we need to go to. And when Moses goes to God and tells him that the people have no water, God immediately shows him a tree. And when he throws this limb into the water, the water becomes sweet and then they're able to drink. Now, there's probably nothing special about this tree, nothing that it's releasing, that's cleansing this water or anything like that. The people just need a visible symbol of this invisible action that God's about to do. That's the only way that we can understand things sometimes. And so God uses tangible things to do his miraculous work all the time, but it's for our benefit. It's not because he needs those things, right? And so after he gave them the water to drink, He explains some of the conditions for them to have a blessed nation as they move forward. And so he says, if you diligently listen to my voice and do what's right in my eyes and listen to the commands that I give you, then I won't put any of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians and I will be the Lord God that heals you. And so unlike the Abrahamic blessing that was completely unconditional, this blessing is conditional, right? So the Abrahamic blessing, God said, I will make you a blessed nation. I will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. I will give your descendants this land. There was nothing that Abraham or Isaac or Jacob could do to change that. There were no conditions set on that. But this is a conditional blessing. God says, you have to listen to me and do what I say if you want me to keep all of the diseases away from you that I put on the Egyptians. He explains this further in Deuteronomy 28, just before they go into the promised land. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter to you, but I will show you how absolutely conditional this blessing is by just giving you a couple of verses. You can look at this chapter yourself if you want to see all of the things that God says, because it's nearly 70 verses. This is verse one. It says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all the commandments, which I've commanded you today, that your Lord God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all the blessings will come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then it lists all the places and ways that they will be blessed. It says they'll be blessed in the city and in the country and the fruit of their body and the fruit of their cattle and the fruit of their land will be blessed. And it goes on to give the blessings. But then if you look in verse 15, it says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all the commands and statutes that he commands you today that all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then it tells them all the places that they will be cursed, which is basically the opposite of all the blessings. But it also says, this is verse 21, the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he's consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with a sword and with scorching mildew. And then it continues to go on for many, many more verses about all of the curses that they will find on them if they do not obey the Lord. So they're not diligent to pay attention to his voice and do what he says. So this is a conditional blessing that God is giving to his people if they will act like his people, right? And he says, because I am the Lord who heals you. 
And so all healing comes from the Lord, right? Even if it is through the hands of the physicians or through medicine, that's just another example of how God uses the tangible, visible things of this world to perform his miracles, right? But also we do not live in the Garden of Eden and we are also not in our future heavenly home where everyone is righteous and our environment's perfect, right? And so we do live in a fallen world with flawed people. And in this world, because people are flawed, God gives blessings and curses and healing or disease are part of those blessings and curses. But also just because we get sick doesn't mean that it's a curse or just because we don't get sick doesn't mean we're being blessed. Some of that is just part of an imperfect environment. And that imperfect environment affects us because, again, we are not living in the Garden of Eden or in heaven right now. So God uses sickness and disease and healing in all three of those ways, as a blessing, as a curse, and also just as a natural effect of living on this earth. But we can rest assured that all diseases and all sicknesses are in God's powerful hand. God is in charge. He rules the earth and he rules all that is in the earth. That includes bacterias and viruses and all the people. God is on his throne and all of these things are in his hand. I want to read you a verse in Deuteronomy ten fourteen. That just states this, nothing profound about this verse, but it reiterates the point. Says, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord God, also the earth with all that is in it, diseases and sickness alike. Okay, so let's move on from chapter 15 into chapter 16 and see what happens to them after they come to Elam, where they have the 12 wells of water and the 70 palm trees. They journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk with my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord your God has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you should complain against us? Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against God. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, saying to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them and say, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it and said to one another, What is this? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of people. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each his own need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they didn't listen to Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather, but on the seventh day there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day enough for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came into the inhabited land. They ate manna until they came into the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Okay, so that was a long chapter, but I wanted you to get the gist of all of what was going on. At the beginning, it says that they left Elam and came into the wilderness of sin And this was on the 15th day of the second month. So it has been 30 days since they left Egypt, because remember, they left on the 15th day of the first month. So 30 days later, they've run out of bread and there's no food in the wilderness any more than there was water in all of the places that they traveled. And if you notice, they even recognize that God is the one that brought them out of Egypt. And they just sarcastically ask, you know, if he was going to kill us, then why didn't he just do it in Egypt where at least we had food, right? They so quickly forgot what it was like in their oppression and the power that God had. 
And they also just didn't understand his goodness or his faithfulness towards them because if they would have, then they would have completely understood that he'd had no intention of letting him die because he had brought them out in order to inherit this great land. So it wouldn't make any sense, but they just couldn't think straight. They were too upset about not having any food and they couldn't think clearly about their past and they had no understanding of their future, right? Because they have this glamorous vision of the past and then they do not understand this future that God has for them because if they did, they would be confident. And so they continuously turn to Moses and gripe, but Moses thankfully continues to turn the focus onto God and not on himself. Because he wants the people to see that when they complain about something that's out of human control, they're really complaining against God, right? He says, we don't have any power to do this. So complaining to us is pointless. When you complain about something like this, you're really complaining against God. And if they would have understood this just a tiny bit, then they would have realized that God is the one that brought them to the wilderness in the first place. And if he brought them there, then it seems that they would have assumed that he had a plan to get them out of that place safely and healthy and into the land that he had promised them. But they didn't understand any of this. And God is doing every single bit of this purposefully. He brought them into the wilderness purposefully in order to teach them dependence on him. He wanted them lacking, having no ability to provide for themselves so that they would have no choice but to turn to him, right? That was his entire purpose. And we see that by him giving them food only enough for one day at a time. They literally had to depend on him every single day if they wanted to eat. And they also had to work for it, right? God provided the meat in the evening and the bread in the morning, but they had to go out every evening when the quail came and catch them in order to eat them. They wouldn't have meat if they didn't go outside and catch the quail. God sent them migrating to this place He also gave them rest at this place so that they would be easily caught by the people, but they had to go out and catch them. And then he sends this special bread in the mornings that is sweet and filling. When the dew lifts, it's all there, but they have to be responsible to go out and get it, right? And if they wait too long, the sun melts it and there's no bread. So they have to go out and work for this food just a little bit, even though God is the one that's sending it. And then they also have to follow his instructions exactly because God knows exactly how much it's going to take per person in order for them to be full in the day. And so he tells them, go and get an omer per person. An omer is about two quarts. So they gathered about two quarts a person every single day. That's a lot of bread that God is providing just on the ground for them each day and for them to gather every single day. And then notice if they had any doubt that God was going to provide for them the next day and they tried to save some, it's like just in case, just in case tomorrow the dew doesn't come and when it lifts, this manna isn't there. Just in case, I'm going to keep a little bit for tomorrow. It wouldn't work, right? Because God would send worms into this bread. It would completely spoil. And God did this so that they couldn't exhibit any doubt. They had to depend on him each and every day. But 
God also had the ability to preserve this bread when he chose to. And so on the Sabbath day, when he told them that he didn't want them to work, he gave them enough on the sixth day so that they could save it. And then he preserved it to last on the seventh day so that they wouldn't have to work. When he told them that they couldn't work, he made sure that they had enough food the day before so that they wouldn't have to go out and gather. And then if any of them again had any doubt and they went out and tried to gather, nope, no food would be there. So they had to be responsible to do twice the work the day before if they wanted to eat the following day. God gave them a day of rest, but they had to get all the work done so that they could rest, right? And then God proved that he could preserve this bread if he chose to, because if they saved any on any of the other days, it would rot. But if they saved it on the sixth day, it didn't. And then also God told them to take two quarts of it and put it in a jar and save it for future generations so that other people could see the manna that God had preserved for them. So he could preserve that for years. And it gives us a little spoiler at the end of this. It says that they ended up wandering around in this desert for 40 years and eating this manna. And in that 40-year period, we'll learn later, they built the tabernacle to the Lord. And in that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant or the Testimony. And so it says that Aaron laid this jar of manna up before the Testimony. And so that's where they kept it. So God was able to preserve this for just as long as he wanted to. Now we're going to end this section by reading the first seven verses in chapter 17. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on the journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore they contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What do I do with these people? They're about ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand the rod which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So those two words mean contentious and tempting. So the people continued to travel and they came to another place that didn't have any water. And again, God had led them to that place. So God was able to provide if they would have just turned to him. But they kept blaming Moses. And this time to the extent Moses thought that they were going to kill him. And so God said, take the staff that's been the symbol of power in Egypt and hit the rock. And when you hit the rock, then it will give you water. And he told him to take the elders with him so that they could see this symbol of God's power striking the rock by Moses so that they could see that God and Moses were still working together to provide for the people, right? So they would not only believe in God, but they would also continue to believe in God's leadership. And so I want to read you a couple of verses in the New Testament that talk about Jesus and him being our rock. And what he gives us. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and it says, 
for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus. Also, in John 1, 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh means Jesus is also called the word. And so not only does God provide food for us physically, but he also provides for us spiritually. He calls Jesus the rock that gives us living water. And Jesus is also the word. Listen to what it says in John 4, 7 through 14. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And then Jesus answered, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus gives us living water. He's the rock that was broken for us that now flows out living water. Also listen to John 6, 27 to 35. It says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of God will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who God sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. And we also said Jesus is the word of God, right? So just as the Israelites had to go gather food that God provided for them to eat in order to be healthy and to grow, we too have to consume the food that God provides to us through his word, Jesus, so that we can grow and be healthy spiritually. This is a picture of the New Testament. That is why, again, the Old Testament is so important for us to understand the fullness of the New Testament because God is providing them food and water so that they can learn to depend fully, completely on Him for their physical health. And He does the same for us through Jesus that we may grow spiritually The only way that we can do that is to read his word, feed ourselves with all of the spiritual things that he gives us so that we can grow and be healthy. Jesus is that for us. 
He's the rock that gives us water. And he is the bread of life that feeds our spirits. And so take from this today that you can depend on God. God is the one that gives us all the things we need. We are incapable of doing things for ourselves. Nothing that we have is of ourselves. It's all of God. And sometimes he has to make us lack in order to depend on him because we don't recognize that otherwise. So recognize all of the gifts that God has given you. And when you are lacking, go to him. He is the only one that can truly give us the things that we need. And he desires that we depend on him. If we can learn to depend on him for our physical needs, then we can also learn to depend on him for the spiritual things that we can't see. Remember how he gives the people the tangible things because we can't understand all of the invisible things that God's giving us sometimes because we're humans. And so as Christians, we have Jesus. We have this tangible word that he gives us so that we're not just looking to him in a spiritual sense that we can't see. He gives us this physical word so that we can consume that and feed our souls so that we can learn about him and grow spiritually just as God was feeding the people physically. But we have to be responsible just as they were to go out and gather this food and consume it in order to grow. So take that with you this week. Try to consume God's word more fully so that you can grow spiritually. I believe that we are all in different places in our walk with God. And God is pleased with every one of us providing that we're growing. We don't have to be spiritually as mature as another person. All we have to do is be spiritually more mature than we were yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. God just wants us to continuously feed ourselves so that we are continuously growing and being healthy in a spiritual sense. That's his desire for us. So I say that to encourage you today to get deeper into his word and grow more spiritually. Now, that's all for today. Next week, we will continue to read and see what happens to them as they continue their journey. So make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. Leave me comments. If you would rather email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.